Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. We're bringing our thoughts into land this morning on a conversation that we've been having for the last number of weeks on a part of our lives that for many of us is unknown or undiscovered or maybe we lack a little understanding. I think particularly for us as Christians, we may have been taught or told that our imagination is a powerful thing and therefore we need to guard it and take care of it and maybe if we're not careful, restrict its capacity to dream. Um, Quite unlike the teaching of Jesus who says to a great bunch of very clever and learned people, as he brings a tiny little child and stands this child amongst them, he says these words, unless you become like this little one, you will miss the kingdom of heaven. And what he's trying to remind these very clever, learned people is that somehow during the course of life, we forget to allow our imaginations to engage in the vastness and the greatness and the majesty and the capacity of God. Our imaginations become something we use perhaps for creative work or indeed entertainment is an area where perhaps our imaginations are engaged. But when it comes to the Word of God and the truth and the reality of Jesus, so often we leave our imaginations outside the door and we read the Bible like a book that does not have the capacity to fill and flood our minds with all kinds of great truths and realities. And your imagination is the place where the Holy Spirit speaks to you. The word that's used in the Hebrew language for God intersecting our thoughts is the word paga. It means that God by His Spirit will just put into us a thought that's much higher or far more greater than any thought that we could have. And in fact, all revelation comes to you through your imagination. God begins to speak and minister to your imagination. Before you know where you are, your whole life has been impacted by the power of the seed of His Word. So let me ask you a quick question as we start our final conversation on this matter. What have you been using your imagination for this week? Did anybody find their car? Did anybody recall something that happened many, many years ago in their lives? You can talk to me. I do want answers. Is there anybody who imagined themselves thin? I've tried that all week. It hasn't worked. Or tall. I used to do that as well. That doesn't work. You, without realizing it, and I, without recognizing it, have been using our imaginations all week long in a variety of ways, either to recall something, to memorize something, to read something, to converse with someone, to find something, to engage with this world around you. You need your imagination, and without it, we'll just would be lost and not able to function. But let me ask you this. Have you used your imagination this week to see yourself as fruitful? Is there anybody who spent significant time pondering what it would look like to live a fully blessed life? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What does it mean for us to be blessed? Do we just allow that word to just go past us without embracing it and pondering it and considering it, adopting it, marinating ourselves in it? Is there anybody who'd like to be blessed this morning? Is it because you're hot that you're so quiet or just you're so riveted by everything I'm saying? Which is it? The second one. Yeah, I believe you. Not. Who would like to be blessed this morning? Who would like to live the blessed life? I don't think there's a person in this room who wouldn't want that kind of reality in their lives. But you know, the place where that begins to be conceived and therefore has a chance to become manifest is not in a room like this with thousands of people talking. It's in your imagination. God wants you to... He wants you to partner with him in that blessing process. And I don't know many Christians who sit for any period of time and ponder or consider or allow their imaginations to be saturated with the reality of what it would look like to live a blessed life. I remember when I went to Bible college a thousand years ago, I I was one of these kind of people who reluctantly went as a student and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me about the way I read the Bible. I thought at that time that the more you read, the more you understood. And I realized that you can't read the Bible like any old book. 
The Bible is a very unique book made up of different types of literature. Some is poetic and poetry, other is song, other is deeply prophetic, others is symbolic. It's not like you can start at the beginning and finish at the end and it all makes sense. But we have this tendency, I think because we are drawn to information in our world, to think that if we fill our lives up with all the information, we're going to have the revelation. And some people, they hurtle through the Bible in a year. They, they kind of rush past some of the great things. The Bible was never designed for us just to read. Every single line is an invitation to understand. Every single word has a revelation attached to it. It's drawing us deeper into the story of God. It's connecting us with the great reality of God's power, His glory, and His word. And so how should we read the Bible? The Bible says of itself that we should read it like this. We should meditate on His word day and night. In other words, a consistent marination of a mindset and the revelation of what the Word of God has to offer us is how we should engage with God's Word. Now, we have taken even rushing through the Bible down another notch. We have uh, these apps on our phones. I'm sure you've got one. I've got one that every day give me a little kind of passage of Scripture to look at. But even if you are getting an, an app-related, informed aspect of the Bible, I want to encourage you to take that Scripture and to think about it and to ponder it and pray about it and ask questions about it throughout the course of your day. Don't just read it and get on with your life. Don't just glance over it and think, oh, that's nice. We are called and we are created to do so much more with the Word of God than that. We're meant to fill and flood our minds with all its great potential and blessing. And you can't do that in a hurry. In fact, we are encouraged, as you can tell from that scripture, Psalm 1, to meditate on it day and night. So as I'm going about my business in the day. So back to Bible college, I kind of felt God tell me to do that. And I remember thinking, gosh, that's going to be hard because I'm, are you easily distracted? Yeah, I'm so easily distracted. I thought I'm not going to be able to do that. But I spent a month, maybe two months, on this particular sentence. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Two months. Two months. And uh, at Bible College, we used to do work. Uh, in the, I used to polish the floor in the chapel. I tell you what, the floor was never better. Never better. Because I was positioned and postured and connected to the reality of what it meant to be blessed. I was so blessed, I polished. And I polished and I polished. At one point, one of the lecturers had to come and say to me, can you stop polishing the floor? People are hurting themselves as they're coming in and out to chapel on a Tuesday. That thing was so shiny, you could have combed, if you had hair, you could have combed your hair in it. Why? Because as the Word of God was a blessing to me, as my soul became saturated with the reality of all that is mine because of Christ Jesus. I just could not even think any which way about how much hours I did, how much time I was doing. I wasn't watching a clock to get out of there. I was enjoying the great sweetness of fellowship with Jesus in such a way that if it had lasted all day, I wouldn't have even noticed. I mean, people might have noticed. It would have broken their neck on the way in on a Tuesday. But I didn't notice. The same was true of the brasses. I could polish a brass when I'm blessed, I tell you. It's an awesome thing. Say amen, somebody please. Encourage me. Amen. What have you been thinking about all week? What has drawn your attention? Is it politics? Oh, I bet your soul is blessed by that. Has it been the great economic downturn that everybody is prophesying? I bet you spent more time thinking about that than you have about what it means to be blessed. The truth is, God has given us our imaginations, and they're given to us to open up all that He has for us. Or indeed, if we're not careful, they shut the door on all that God wants to do in our lives, and we find ourselves filling our imaginations with all kinds of things that do not produce the life that Jesus Christ has promised us. What you think about, what you ponder, what you saturate your life with, 
flows from your imagination and it has the power to either kill off what God wants to do or grow extensively what God wants to do. Is there anybody here this week who spent some time thinking about what it would look like to be with Jesus forever in heaven? Now, you're not going today, so there's no rush, but if you get a chance, why don't you sit with God and sit with His Word and invite the Holy Spirit and say, God, what's it going to be like for us to be in heaven together? You know, people often come to me and say things like this, will I recognize my wife in heaven? I think, well, if you didn't recognize her here on earth, it's probably not going to be possible. Okay, will I have, you know, when I have an awareness of my family in heaven, can I tell you, please, with all sincerity, I hope and I hope that I hope that we will be so caught up with Jesus. Hello? Do you remember him, Jesus? So caught up with Jesus that we have eyes for nothing or no one else. Why would I want to talk to Abraham where I can meet with the lion of the tribe of Judah? What possible conversation can I have with Moses? If I am distracted by Moses, then I'm not attracted by Jesus. I think when we get to heaven, we will be lost in wonder, love, and praise. And this is what happens in heaven. Even now as we speak, they are going, oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and worthy to be praised. This great throng of angels and cherubims and seraphims and saints are worshiping and adoring. And just like they didn't see it the first time, they go, oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and worthy to be praised. And yet here we are in His presence and there isn't a, oh. you see, what you fill your mind with, you will fill your life with. Whatever and soever a man or a woman thinks they live. It's not what we're saying on a Sunday or what we say we believe. It's what floods and fills our minds turns up in our lives. So do you think it's possible for us as believers to have a mind that's filled with the glories of God? Do you think it's possible for you as a believer to contemplate the wonder of God? To let your mind just be flooded with His extensive power, authority, and reality I think that would be a good thing to use your mind for. Do you think it's possible for you to allow your mind to engage in the art of thinking brilliantly? Because everything God says is utterly brilliant. Utterly, spectacularly brilliant. And you do know, don't you? Please, I won't apologize for saying this. In every conversation you have with him, which is prayer, he is simply the smartest person in the room. He is always the smartest person in the room. Now, when you start to think the way God wants you to think, when you flood your imagination with all the things that Jesus has afforded us and, and given to us freely through his death and resurrection, then we start to live an overcoming life. Ephesians 2, let's see what it has to say. He made us alive with Christ. even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us. Where did God raise us, church? What does it say on the screen? God raised us. Let's pretend it's a game show. Is this one going to be lower or higher? God raised us. Up, up. Let that word sink in for a minute. Whether you realize it or you don't realize it, you have been positioned in Christ and raised with Christ to heavenly realms. My friend, you've got elevated status. Hallelujah. You're flying first class and some. God has raised you and positioned you in Christ with Christ so that your perception and perspective can be the very same as God's. Amen? Amen. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us. The, the, the reason we have the word seated is it's a completed thing. When you ever see the word in, in Scripture that says seated, it means something has come to its conclusion. And seated with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, 
Look what for. In order that in the coming ages he may display his surpassing riches of grace, demonstrated, this is where that grace worked itself out, by his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. So, I don't know if you've managed this week to get your head into partnership with the truth, but that's your reality. This week, whether you felt like it, had a good week, a bad week, a hot week, a cold week, a difficult week, a stressful week, you and I as believers have been given already a position in Christ that oversees and perceives this life from heaven's perspective. And your imagination is the key to opening up all of that in your life. Go to 1 John 5 verses 4 to 5 for me. 1 John 5, sorry, verses 4 to 5 says, For everyone born of God, what does it say? Everyone born of God has a really hard time in the world. What does it say? Everyone born of God just has to grit their teeth and survive. Everyone born of God is overwhelmed by everything that happens to them. What does it say? Overcomes. That's you. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ has given us a posture and a position in God where we already, say already to someone, already are overcomers. When I say to you, what have you used your imagination for this week, can I encourage you to think like that? Can I ask you this week to take some time to ponder the truth of God's Word? If God says you're an overcomer, I don't care what anyone else has to say about your problem. You are an overcomer. The only problem is you haven't seen it clearly. You haven't allowed your mind to come into partnership with your truth. And when your mind is not in partnership with your truth, you will believe a lie. And a lie says that you are overcome. But Jesus says, because he is in you and you are in him, you are an overcomer. Turn to the person on your left-hand side. I'd say, I think he's prophesying over you this week. Turn to the one on your right-hand side and says, back at you. You see, here's my problem. I have a problem. We've read it a thousand times, but we don't know how to embrace it. We don't know how to receive it. We don't know how to fully immerse ourselves in the reality of God's Word. God's Word is not a fictional novel. It's an invitation to know Him and to be known by Him and consequently to live in the fullness of all that Christ has afforded us. You, whether you feel like it, whether they told you otherwise, whether somebody lied to you, hurt you, crashed into you, stole from you this week, you are an overcomer. That's the truth. Oh, Lord Jesus. That is the truth. And not only have you overcome your own temptations, but you've overcome this world. When I put the news on, I have to remind myself of that. It's so easy to be paralyzed by what you see publicized. And you know, so much of it is false or fake news. We don't even know anymore what is real and what isn't real. But we know that the Word of God is always true. Everlasting to everlasting is His love and His Word is truth. It's a rock upon which we can build our lives. I feel all kinds of things in a week. Good, bad, and may I sorrily say out loud, ugly. But that's not my truth. My truth is not my feelings. My truth is my position in Christ Jesus. Amen? And if I'm going to live my life by my feelings, I don't need the Word of God. I need the Word of God because I have lived my life by my feelings. And look where that got me. Everyone born of God overcomes this world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith in Jesus, who is, at, who is it that overcomes this world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you know all it takes 
for you to overcome the world is for your imagination and your mind to partnership with this truth. And all that you need to know is that Jesus is the Son of God. Is there anyone here who knows that Jesus is the Son of God? So we're on the winning side. Go with me, please, to 2 Corinthians 10. So in 1 John 5, verses 4 to 5, what we're trying to understand is this. Before we read 1 Corinthians, don't put it up just yet. We are already victors. That's what the Word is telling us. It's also telling us in 1 John 5, verses 4 to 5, we are already blessed. Oh, Jesus. We are prosperous. We are full of wisdom. We are healed in Jesus' name. We are healthy and we are whole. Often the switch between our carnal thinking, which is thinking based on physical circumstances or even past experiences, and our spiritual thinking, which is thinking based upon the Word of God, is a battle. It's a battle for all of us. And it's a battle that's not out here. The battle that rages in our lives is a battle in here. Between these two places, our mind is being conditioned by all kinds of things in the world, and it should be in a place of submission and revelation concerning the Word of God. And I don't know what your week is like, but just about in every way possible, my mind, my imagination is being stole from me by all kinds of things that want to offer me an alternative reality. The battle is yours to win, and it's in here between these two places in your head. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us this reality. He says, for though we live in the world, is there anybody here who doesn't live in the world? I'm just checking. Anyone here? Though we live in the world, look what it says. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take, notice the place of the battle, and we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Having been a Christian for 37 years, as perhaps some of us have journeyed with Jesus for a length of time, you will have come across a phrase called spiritual warfare. Has anybody ever heard of spiritual warfare? Now, spiritual warfare, for many, many reasons, has become something that happens out here. People will say things to me when they come for some pastoral care. Pastor, I'm in a spiritual battle. The devil has been after me all week. I think, gosh, you must be important. <laughs> because I know a little bit about how this works. The devil has limited resources. Did you know that the devil's on a budget? There's a recession in hell. Did you know that? There's a recession. Do you know that in the kingdom of heaven, there's no recession? God's not on a budget. So the devil has limited resources. You must be really, really important if he's assigning one of them to you. We've bound, we've loosed. We've talked about territorial spirits over cities. We've cast everything down. We broke everything up. But you know in the New Testament, listen to me carefully, when the Apostle Paul speaks about spiritual warfare, he's not talking about those realms. And the reason he's not talking about them is because Jesus has already won that fight. The fight has been won. Someone say hallelujah to that. But the battle rages on so when the apostle paul says this for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds paul's thinking is not external it's internal the strongholds that need demolishing are the mindsets and the imaginations that have a strong hold over the way you live and the way you think. 
And there are lots of things that have a stronghold over the way we think and the way we live. You see, because prior to Christ, without truth, we lived lies very gloriously and abundantly. And our minds have been conditioned by all kinds of experiences to believe that certain things are good and permissible. In fact, if you take that narrative all over the world, I am shocked to the core of my being just how extensive culture is in regard to violating real truth and celebrating false truth. Hello? And so Paul is simply saying, this fight that rages for your soul, for your future, this all comes down to your imagination. It comes down to the strongholds that are trying to keep you attached to the life that you had. Strongholds that you put in place or even were circumstantially imposed upon you to keep certain things in a particular way to satisfy you. They are no longer your master. Jesus has defeated them. Jesus has dealt with all of those things and you don't have to live subject to them. So let me give you an example. A young man goes out on a date. The young lady he's with is so gorgeous, he finds himself contemplating the rest of the evening. And so while they're sitting having dinner, he's planning how things will go, already working through the kinds of conversations that are necessary. And they find themselves in a place where they're in a, an intimate moment and without realizing it, something takes place that's natural but outside of the parameters of the will of God. And they turn up on church on Sunday and they feel guilt-ridden. So as a pastor, you can imagine I've heard all kinds of nuances to this. Young men will say, I don't know what happened, pastor. We just ended up in bed naked. Well, do you know, I've been out for an evening and I've never ended up in bed naked. <laughs> People come to me and say, do you know, we just accidentally fell into sin. Wow, that accident took three weeks to plan. You've been on this for about a month trying to work it all out. You see, what happens in these situations is it's no use when you're lying naked with somebody saying, God, give me the power to resist. I bind you. I bind you in the name of... In fact, that might actually be a really bad thing to do. But don't... You haven't got power here. You've got power over here. Would you like lemonade with your vodka? No. What, you prefer Coke? You see, over here, when it's normal and natural and not premeditated, you have an authority. Over here, you've already entertained, entertained, marinated, and now you're manifesting. Okay? That which your mind perceived and conceived is now becoming made manifest. And please, don't get all religious on us. Some of you, you've got the same problem with food. Or shopping. Why do you think so much money is plowed into the internet to attract you? I've got to have that handbag, Pastor. Give the money to the poor. It's only 5,000 pounds. I've got to have that handbag, Pastor. I'm worth it. I'm worth it, Pastor. So you dream about that Gucci bag. You've got pictures. You worship. You engage. You contemplate. You visualize yourself with it on your shoulder. You put it down at the table with all your very posh lady friends who know it's worth a fortune. You've worked it all out in your head. What is the only possible thing that can happen? You're going to end up buying it. And if you can't afford it, you're going to fly to Turkey. And you're going to get one that just looks like it. Just looks like it. Why? Because you've entertained it. You've conceived. You've 
given birth to something in your mind that now has to find a vehicle by which to express itself. And it doesn't really matter what it is that you're thinking about. Whatever you're thinking about will end up in your life. You have the very life you have thought yourself to have. But Jesus, when he came into your heart and into your life, he gave you power to over... Ah... You already have power to overcome. You're not tossed about by what the world or spiritual forces of darkness. You have the Son of the living God living inside of you. You have power to say yes, and you have power to say no. But please, don't come along to a meeting like this and go, Hallelujah, that was all through the back of Jesus. And go back out here and spend all week thinking about something. And then repent on Saturday for church on Sunday and say, God, I don't know how that happened to me. I just fell into sin on Saturday night. No, you didn't. You planned it, thought about it, marinated, conceived it, and now I'm manifesting it. That is what we do. That's why the devil wants your mind. That's why the enemy bombards you with things that aren't true. Because if he can get your mind, he's got your life. So who else wants your mind? God. He wants to fill your mind with truth and freedom and joy and purpose and goodness. Amen. Amen. And look what it says here in verse 5. We demolish arguments. Isn't it true when you see something you shouldn't see or shouldn't want that you argue with yourself? Don't you think that's true? You go out to Sainsbury's if you're posh or little if you're not. And you didn't intend to come home with that cake, but it was speaking to you. You were passing it by, gloriously oblivious to its powers and its ways, and suddenly out of the corner of your eye, it stole your heart. <laughs> and so you have to bring it home. You put it on the counter and you say, just one slice. One slice turns into three. Well, how can you drink a cup of tea without cake? And you always have three cups of tea. <laughs> Before you know who you are, it comes to tea time, and you think, have that last piece to find that you're married to somebody else who's equally as weak as you. <laughs> and all that's left is that dreadful circle where hope once lived. <laughs> as you sit on the sofa, you pat your belly, and you think, there's a new gym opening in Sally Oak. I must go. I must go one day. I think they're, they're charging you know, quite low fees. And you go to bed once again, disappointed in yourself because you should have resisted the temptation to eat nine slices of cake. But you know, the devil was after you. <laughs> Satan made you do it. <laughs> Beelzebub himself <laughs> was in your kitchen. He held the knife as you cut it. It's not your fault at all. I'm only human after all. Don't put the blame on me. From the minute you caught eyes on that cake, you had power back there in the shop. When you've tasted, your powers become diminished, don't they? But it's the argument. I find the argument fascinating. I know what the outcome should be, but I argue with myself. Do you not do that? Oh, it doesn't really matter. Do you know what I always do? We'll start tomorrow. <laughs> That's my favorite cop-out. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, let's have an, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll start the diet tomorrow. So every day is a new day. His mercies are new every morning, Pastor. Great is his faithfulness. And then when I can't get into my clothes on holiday, I'm thinking, what happened? The devil has stolen this body from me, oh God. Underneath here is a six pack. Even though from the outside it looks like a keg. <laughs> Your mind is really powerful. It can take you into a great adventure with God or it can steal from you everything that God has planned for you. And you have power. We demolish arguments and take every pretension, love that word, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And look, this is how we do it. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So this week, okay, why don't you just let your mind, your imagination, be filled with all that God has for you. And when you find that your imagination, which has been trained so well in the past, starts thinking or contemplating or engaging with things that you know are not gonna end well, use your divine authority given to you by Christ to destroy the strongholds that have a stronghold over the way you live your life. And you see, there's only so many years that you can do the same thing over and over and over again and still have hope. You have that has a limited shelf life. And after a while, if there's a cycle or a stronghold in your life, before you know where you are, you don't even ask God or pray for God to bring freedom or deliverance. Hope deferred makes the heart grow faint. So the Apostle Paul, who would have thought, is not describing spiritual warfare as this big cosmic climatic thing. He's saying real spiritual warfare, the one to pay attention to, happens between your ears. And therefore, wage war against anything. Say anything for me. Anything and everything that stands opposed to the blessing and the fullness and the truth and the reality of who you are in Christ. <laughs> so, we sing these great songs in church, don't we? I'm no longer a slave to fear till the gas bill comes. And you see, in those moments when it hits your mat, you have to make up your mind. Am I going to let this turn into fear, anxiety, concern, or worry? Or am I going to trust that I am loved and cherished and cared for and provided for by a true and living God? You know when you hear the noise at three in the morning in the back garden and you're having that conversation, who shall go? Is that just in my house? I always think Jane should go because she's got a much better right hook than I have. <laughs> what you sing and what you declare to be true, now's the time to apply it. Now is the time to apply it. Whatever temptation comes your way to fall back or to come into partnership with a mindset that lives separated from the reality and the truth and the wonder and the fullness of God, be violently opposed to anything that shuts the door to God's future for you. Violently opposed. Because if you don't engage your imagination, you will never see heaven's manifestation. Your imagination is the womb by which God plants and conceives in you his plans and his purposes. And of course, because the devil knows that's how God leads people from one degree of glory to the next he also has some seed to plant. And he does it in all kinds of ways on a regular basis to keep you from all that God has for you. All New Testament scripture about spiritual warfare focuses its attention on the mind and the imagination. Let's go a little bit down the line. A young lady came to me in Glasgow. Her name was Cynthia. And she'd come from Nigeria. She was here as a student 
and just a beautiful young lady, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember the first day she got baptized in the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues. She was so happy, and we were all really happy for her. She, 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 she didn't realize that, you know, perhaps when you went to work, you shouldn't speak in tongues. We had to try and help her with that. But, but she was on the call centers too. But, but we, she was so full of the Holy Spirit. And out of the blue one day, she came and she said to me, Pastor, I've been filled with Jesus now for about 18 months, and... Um, I just want to tell you that, that the devil is after me. I said, oh, you know, as a pastor, you think, all right. Okay, explain to me, Cynthia, what you mean. She said, when I go to bed at night, I can't rest. I feel this presence in, in my bedroom. There's this powerful sense of a demonic influence. And, uh, and she says, I wake up in the morning and I've got cuts on my arms. And, you know, I can feel there's something terrible happening in my life. I said to her, gosh, that's, that's dreadful. We should pray about that. And we prayed about that. And so as we were praying, I felt led by God to ask some questions. I said, Cynthia, tell me a little bit about your, your culture, where you've come from, what you've experienced. And uh, she said to me, oh, well, you know, my, my family were, were really hyper vigilant when it comes to the devil. They all kind of were intercessors and they believed the devil was powerful and they would pray and they would see and they would, everywhere they went, that, you know, they kind of bound and, and, and loosed God. And I just thought, gosh, that's a strange, not that strange, but that's a strange correlation between those two realities. And I wondered, I just wondered, is there any connection between the cultural orientation of seeing the devil in everything and now this moment in her life, though she's filled with God, born again and blessed of God, where she's still connected to or attached to or orientated to a supernatural reality that is now inferior to the one that she has. And so we began to pray and began to talk. And so I, I said to her, you know, with all honesty, it sounds like no kind of advice at all, but I just think you should stop talking about the devil. Just try that, Cynthia. Stop talking about the devil and stop thinking about him. Now, you might think that's just very lightweight, but actually I've noticed that there are some people who give the devil more of their imagination than they give God. The devil this, the devil that, the devil made me do it. The devil. This particular young lady, she used to count the numbers on, on car registrations and say that adds up to 666. I think I wouldn't even have the inclination or the energy or the resource to even think like that. She wouldn't live in a student accommodation because it had a particular number on the door and she worked out through numerology that actually was the sign of, of fallenness so I said, go home, Cynthia. Just put your worship music on. And don't just sit on the floor. Sing, rejoice, celebrate. And um, she looked at me you know, like I'd, she, you know, lost a fiver and I gave her a pound. It just, it just didn't sit well with her. And um, I thought, well, she probably won't come back, will she? But three days later, she came back and she said, I have to tell you this. I have slept like a baby for the last three nights. She said, I feel so alive in Jesus. The, worshiping God, she said, is just, I always thought I could worship, but actually just singing out loud in my front room or singing out loud when I'm driving the car, it's just been phenomenal. I'm hearing things that I'm thinking about and contemplating and wondering, is that really the nature of God? And she said, strangely enough, Pastor, at nighttime, I don't have these visitations. I don't experience any of that sense of, of the demonic realm in my life. And, you know, it's a simple thing, but it's true. Whatever we think, whatever we focus upon, whatever our minds are filled with will become our reality. Was she born again? Absolutely. Was she spirit-filled? Absolutely. But her mind had yet to come into partnership with the truth. And the truth is, Christ in her is greater than any demonic force outside of her. She is an karma. She just didn't know that. She didn't see that. She didn't understand that. And so because she didn't know she was an overcomer, because she didn't understand that Christ has overcome all things, she was lied to to believe that she would be overcome by demonic influences. Your mind... Your imagination has to be fixed, fixed on God. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church, says, I fix my eyes. He's not talking about these. I fix 
My gaze, I think another version of it says, I orientate everything about where I'm going, who I am, and what I want in one place. Jesus. I fix my eyes on Jesus and listen to the fruitfulness of that kind of imagining partnership with the reality of God, who is the author. In other words, God's writing my story now. And the perfecter, the producer, God is producing through my, the author and the perfecter of all of my faith is found and held by this gaze from my imagination to the reality of who Christ is. The devil can only play havoc in your life if you entertain him. And he loves to be entertained. He was the party reveler in heaven. He doesn't mind who he hangs out with as long as he can destroy what God is doing. And remember, church, you have divine power. Say it out loud. I have divine power for the tearing down of strongholds. Let me take you somewhere else. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 for me, please. Verses 17 to 18, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus about this very matter, says, so I tell you this. Have we, have we managed to get that? Oh, thank you. And insist on it in the Lord. So the Apostle Paul is revealing truth, but he's also urging the church at Ephesus to actually think about and to ponder and to embrace this reality. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Notice to the assignment of what it means to live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and he's basically saying this, you are no longer to think like those who live outside of relationship with God. When he writes to the church asking for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, the reason why we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind is that we are called to be transformers. I can't transform society if my own mind has not been transformed. Prior to that invitation, he says, do no longer be subject to the pattern of this world. In other words, there's a culture, a way of thinking, a way of operating, a way of living that now for you as a Christian is no longer beneficial. Be transformed, be metamorphosized, let your whole life be completely different as you renew your mind and think like you're supposed to think as a child of grace and mercy and goodness. Someone saved and filled with the hope of Jesus Christ. And if you are not living with your mind engaged with the truth of who you are in Christ Jesus, and more importantly, who Christ Jesus is for you, then you will be like so many people living like a Gentile. You'll be living in the futility of your thinking. And as a result, it says, they are darkened in their understanding. In other words, they're living under a shadow. They're living held and restricted and confined by another reality and separated. And this is the bit that I think is really hard to hear separated from the life of God. Why? Because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Do you know, about three or four years ago, God brought me to this scripture, and it's one of those scriptures that you probably just read over and you don't think an awful lot about. But you know, I was saying earlier about marinating or meditating. I found myself camped at this scripture for about two or three months just thinking through all of the implications of what's written here. This particular scripture is placed at a very significant part 
in the book of Ephesians. You know, the book of Ephesians is a book of two halves. The first half is about our reality in Christ Jesus. The second is about how to live out of that reality. And this comes right at the point where Paul is trying to help us live the life that Jesus Christ wants us to live. And he's explaining to us that in light of this new life we have been given in Christ Jesus, we must stop thinking like the Gentiles. We must stop thinking like the Gentiles. I'm going to say it again. We must stop thinking like the Gentiles who don't know Jesus and don't know the reality of Jesus and don't know the power of Jesus and don't know the favor of God on their lives and don't know the blessing of God and don't know that they're overcomers through Jesus Christ and by his precious blood, who don't know that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life, who don't know that God has a plan for this world to prosper and to bless anyone who comes into relationship with him. They're living in the futility of their thinking and we are called to not live like that because we have been given a revelation through the word of God of a new reality, a superior reality, where God is the king of glory and we are his family, filled with hope, filled with joy, and filled to overflowing with his spirit. Paul said, he's saying, you're not supposed to walk or live like that anymore as someone who doesn't know God and who isn't using their imagination or their mind properly. Why is he saying this? Let me tell you why. Because sin stinks. It destroys. It ruins all kinds of things. It can cause you to lose so much that you've worked for. And yet, in spite of us all knowing what sin can do, people still sin. They lie, they cheat, they steal. They get drunk, they do drugs, they vomit their hard-earned money down toilets and clubs, they lose their jobs, they go broke. Sin, in God's economy, is stupid. It's stupid because it's opening the door to a reality that will destroy you. And anyone who starts to engage with sin foolishly believes they have power over it. If you're not a believer here today, you have no power over sin in your life. If you are a believer today, you have power over sin. But not when you've taken the drugs, before you even think you should take the drugs. You have a divine authority to not go where sin wants to take you. And let me tell you, sin will take you to the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. And you cannot control where you end up. Do not be arrogant enough to think that you have a handle on sin. Because if sin has its clutches in you, you are dead. Romans 6 verse 3 puts it this way. The wages of sin is a good time. The wages of sin is death. That's where you're heading, baby. That's where it ends up. Don't fool yourself into thinking there's an alternative destination. Sin always produces death. It's the price you pay for the thoughts and the lives that you think you should live. And let me tell you, that death is so much more than just physically dying. Do you know when you sin, you die to your own self-respect? Talk to me. When you sin, you become dead in your capacity to sense and to experience the goodness of God. When you sin, you become so foolish and futile in your thinking that you think that we can't see or nobody recognizes it. Do you know, if you have any walk with Jesus at all, when you're around somebody who's living a compromised life, your discernment God has given you causes you to see and to sense things you perhaps would never or should never put into words. Sin is stupid. And where does it begin? And where is it conceived? In our minds. And the Apostle Paul is saying, if you're a born-again believer and you follow Jesus and you love Jesus, do not entertain any thought 
that takes you back to where you were, but entertain every thought that takes you into all you are. I think it's a proverb that says, they returned to their sin like a dog to its vomit. In the book of Revelation, speaking of vomit, because you were neither hot nor cold, I spewed you forth from my mouth. I know we don't want to use our minds to give birth to sin. And what we can do, because our minds will need to be filled with something, we need to flood our minds with the truth and the realities of God. We don't want to live in the futility of the Gentiles. We want to, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, allow our imaginations, our minds, and our lives to come to a place where they're so saturated in the truth and the reality of who God is. Oh. Go to Proverbs 4 for me. I'm going to end with this. Is that okay? You all okay? You look like you, you need a holiday now. <laughs> Proverbs 4, 25 to 27. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. I do question that. He had hundreds of wives. He says, look your, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. And now we go into the realm of imagination. Be carefully, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. And the writer here is trying to say to us, let your imagination stay focused on who God is, who you are in Him, and what He has told and promised you. That's what we should do, not accidental tourists waiting for something to collide with us. Do you know, there's an issue perhaps for some of us, but I'm going to say this and wrap this up as best I can. Um, we have been taught that it's wrong to have a hard heart. And of course, it's wrong to have a hard heart concerning God. But you know what, my friends? You should have a hard heart concerning sin. You should have already made up your mind <laughs> what you're going to do with it. And here's the thing about a hard heart. If you have a hard heart concerning sin, Sin will no longer be your master. Christ will be your Lord and your Savior. And simply put, when Jesus coming through Jerusalem on his way to the cross, it says this about him, that he set his heart on Jerusalem. He set his heart. In other words, he made up his mind before the events took place, what would be the outcome of his journey. We have to make up our minds before the incidents and the events of our life take place. What will be the outcome of our journey? Simply put, in Old Testament terms, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Romans 8, 24 to 25 says, For in this hope, and that's what Paul is talking about, hope is an informed mind. In this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You see, our imagination is the ability to see with our hearts what we can't see with our eyes. And hope in the New Testament is the same expression of what I'm talking about in the Old Testament, which is our imagination. Do you know that you have never seen Jesus, but you gave up your life for him? Do you know that you read an ancient book that's hundreds of years old and you obey it? Do you know that without your eyes ever seeing the Holy Spirit, 
you have been touched and blessed and filled and overflowing with it. Everything about the spiritual life is about seeing with your heart what you can't see with your eyes. You are well rehearsed in living in the fullness of all that God has in your imagination. We are saved by hope. Romans 8 verse 24. Hebrews 6, 11 to 12 says, we have a hope that's based on an assurance in God. Hebrews 6 verse 19 talks about hope being an anchor for our souls. Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I've done my best over these last few weeks to try and help us all as a community to use our imaginations again, for God to redeem them, to fill them and to flood them with revelation, truth, and life so that we can live fully the life that Jesus Christ has made available for us. I have no control over what you think, but you do. This divine authority that's been given to you as a new born-again believer has given you a, a possibility to have a different set of thoughts that can lead to an alternative reality in life. If you're living outside of the fullness and the abundance of God, however good you think your life is, you're living an inferior reality than the one that Christ Jesus has purchased for you. And the gate to getting you where you need to go and from where you need to get away from is here. The battle rages on in the mind. Take every thought captive, every vain imagination that seeks to set itself up against the purposes of God. What is the purposes of God? That you are free, that you are full, that you are blessed, that you are an overcomer. Amen. Stand. The worship team haven't gone on holiday. Where are you? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, and worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I worship your So tomorrow morning when you wake up and I wake up, I wonder what's the first thing that comes into your mind. For me, it's usually to do with this or something I ate too late the night before. How about trading our thoughts for a greater thought? If my thinking has got me to where I am, shouldn't I upgrade my thinking if I want to get somewhere else? When you put your foot on the carpet or wherever it is that you live first thing in the morning open your mouth and say this is the day the Lord has made I will rejoice and be glad in it when you get on the bus or in the car on your way to work and you're caught up in the traffic and well it won't be so bad now the kids are on holiday Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> this is the day the Lord has gifted me for me, I'm going to rejoice to the best of my capacity and be glad that I'm alive in Jesus Christ. When I find myself queuing, trying to get something to take home, I'm impatient as I normally am. I'm going to open my heart before the Lord. I probably wouldn't do this publicly, although I am known to embarrass all kinds of people and say, nah, 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 this is not my reality. My reality is I am blessed. I am filled with God's goodness. I'm an overcomer. And while the world may throw everything it wants at me, greater is he who is in me 
than he who is in this world. And I'm going to allow my mind to ponder and consider what it looks like for me to say, this is the day, this day is the day the Lord has made. Oh gosh, I could go there for weeks on that thought. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Church, there's a battle that you need to win. And it's a battle between where you've been and where God wants you to go. Fight the good fight this week. Take every thought captive. Demolish every stronghold and disarm every argument that sets itself up from the purposes of God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. God bless you. Have a wonderful week, oh my soul. And worship. If you're watching online, may the Lord bless you. Have a great day. Sing like never before. Oh my soul, I worship your home. Here we go. Bless the Lord. Sing it out. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. And worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh my soul, I worship your home. Your holy name I will worship. I will worship your home. With all my mind, with all my Have a wonderful week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.